Welcome to the Good Fiction Podcast. Join us as we continue with Darkest Darker Dark, Episode 8. Marshall took a long, deep hit from his pipe, put it back on the tray, and pushed the tray under his couch. Gray smoke exhaled in a long, thin stream after holding it in for as long as he possibly could. His signature trademark, that long stream of smoke. No one could do it quite like him. It was a thin gray line that seemed to shoot from his puckered lips like a laser from a ray gun in some old sci-fi movie. Not too many people had seen him do it. Not lately, anyway. He just hadn't been in the mood for friends lately. In fact, he was alone. Again. If Misty knew he was smoking dope, she'd have a cow. No way he'd have done that when she was alive. He especially wouldn't have done it around the baby. No, this was something he'd gone back to after Misty and the baby had died. There had been those early college days before he had any real responsibility that he smoked quite a bit of it on a regular basis. But this was since the loss of his family, his precious family, gone. Here he went again. He was heading back down that road, that road that always led him from memory to smoking another bowl, then another, then another, until finally he had to turn the picture of Misty face down again. Then he'd smoke some more, but at least he could sleep. There's peace in sleep. There was peace in drug-induced darkness. He reached under the couch again and pulled out his tray. Ah, the tray. He packed a good bowl into the pipe and started smoking again. His eyes were becoming redder than someone crying for a loved one at their funeral. Again, it was time for another bowl. This time, when he reached under the couch without looking, his finger brushed up against the leftover wires he had placed under there. There really was no place to put them other than that. Those silly wires. Making a bomb was easy. Everything he needed to learn about bomb making was readily available on the internet. There were several choices, but he decided on dynamite and a Timex watch. The wire cost all of a dollar at Home Depot. He bought the watch at Walgreens for $16.99. The dynamite was a little harder to get, but there were people at the coal mining company that were easily approachable and more than willing to sell a stick or two with no questions asked for the right price. The whole thing was surprisingly easy. Getting it on the plane... That was much more difficult. Since the terrorist attacks of 2001 on the Twin Towers in New York, the security at the airports had increased greatly. It only took flying on a few quick weekend practice runs to figure out what to do. He checked his luggage and didn't board the plane. Simple. Even buying a ticket with a fake name proved to be extremely easy to do.
bomb was small. The bang probably wouldn't even be heard by most passengers, but it was strong enough to blow a hole in the bottom of the cargo hold and to also start a fire. Plane goes up, poof, plane goes down. Nothing to it. Another deep inhale and a long, loud exhale. The pot was good, potent. No need to smoke a joint with this stuff. A good hit here and there would keep him going for quite some time. Several hits would put him in another place. It wasn't necessarily a good place, but a different place. A different perspective to view the world from was a welcome feeling. He punched the remote and his TV came to life. CNN was going on and on about how they were beginning to receive leaks from various law enforcement agencies that it was a bomb indeed that brought down the plane. That got him to thinking about Debbie. He picked up the picture of Misty off the coffee table and looked at it intently. Her long brown hair. Funny how it looks so much like Debbie's. Misty had prided herself on her hair and had boasted about how God had blessed her with perfect hair. There were times when he caught a glimpse of Debbie from behind and was so sure it was Misty, he thought he was seeing a ghost. Once he even called her Misty in class. No one made the connection. Good thing, too, because it might have spoiled everything. So far, things were falling into place just like he'd planned. He was a little concerned that it had been a while since she'd called. Patience, he kept telling himself, patience. She had called and the whole thing with picking out those boxes for her dead parents had been a bonus. Just an absolute, out of nowhere, unexpectedly surprising bonus. As awkward as it had seemed, he secretly loved that she included him, especially in something like that. For the time being, that little stoner brat Nathan was his only contact. Through forced, friendly chit-chats and meetings that seemed to be by chance, he was able to find out all he needed to know about how Debbie was doing and what she was up to. Nathan was a wormy little guy who never seemed to catch on that Marshall just happened to be crossing paths with him after lunch or before third period where he had that long walk from the main building to the gym. Marshall really didn't like the kid. His pale skin and red hair could have easily put him into the nerd category. Eating lunch with all the misfits at those two tables in the corner of the lunchroom with the girl who wore the headgear braces and the boy that had every single spot on his face covered with a big red zit. How could that moron father of hers have possibly let her date that kid? He knew Debbie's father was starting to closely examine her relationship with Nathan. The anonymous phone call he'd made about two or three months earlier about Nathan's drug use seemed to have had some effect. The day after he made the call, 
telling Debbie's father that his daughter was dating a known heroin addict, Debbie had come into class visibly upset. When he asked her what was wrong, she told him about someone calling her father and telling him how bad of a person Nathan was. He played dumb, of course, and sympathetic, too. Still, the girl's father didn't make her stay away from the kid. How could he do that? What was wrong with this guy? If he had gotten to raise his daughter, he would have never allowed her to date a guy like Nathan. Butch Masterson was an idiot who deserved that dive into the perpetual deep. All that cash, that big job, that perfect daughter, and he was letting some pale-faced, red-headed dork ruin it all. Marshall just couldn't stand for that. Yes, the untimely demise of Debbie's parents would put her in the care of Nathan's parents. Yes, she'd be living in the same house with him. But the hard part was over with. Nathan would be easy to keep from Debbie. Maybe he'd need some of those extra wires he set next to his rolling tray. Or maybe not. He hadn't really decided yet. There really wasn't any rush at the moment. Once she'd come back to school, they could start talking some more, and eventually he could help her make some decisions about her money. Once Nathan bit the dust, she was going to need a good friend, and he'd be there for her. Trying to imagine his and Misty's daughter in a situation where she lost her boyfriend would surely bring her and her father closer, right? Well, of course that was right. He was way too far along to doubt his plan now. Thinking deeply seemed to be easier when he was high, but that little voice inside his head kept asking, right? After he came to conclusions, everything's going perfectly, he would say out loud, with only the spirit-like pot smoke hugging the ceiling as it went from gray to white then vanished on its own time. But there was always that voice, right? It asked. It was Misty's voice. It was so loud and clear that sometimes he'd turn around expecting her to be standing there. Her long brown hair pulled back and braided to her butt. Those cutoffs she wore almost every day, hugging her tiny frame, topped by her Guns N' Roses concert shirt with the bleach stain on the left sleeve. Her hair would smell of shampoo and her big bright eyes would be sparkling. She was never there, though. He wanted her to be. She just never was. Deep down, he knew she would never be there either, but the voice was so real-sounding that it gave him this glimmer of hope when he heard it. The hope sparkled like an enormous firework at a 4th of July celebration, bursting forth with outward-spiraling streams of bright, white, fiery lights that reach high before they begin to fall back to earth. The fiery lights, like his hope, flicker out flicker on into the black backdrop of the night sky as the anxious heads look upward, wanting more. He'd read somewhere, or maybe it was in a song, that empty sidewalks didn't seem the same. 
What a true statement that was every time he peered through his normally closed blinds. Before sidewalks on his off days just seemed empty. But then again, Misty was with him. She didn't even have to be in the same room, but she was with him. He'd hear her humming in another room or maybe talking on the phone. Then he would think about how lucky he was. Teaching school gave him this incredible number of days off. In the middle of the day, while everyone else hustled and bustled to do whatever their lives required of them, he was home with Misty. The sidewalks were empty then, too. Now, that emptiness was deeper. Without the presence of Misty, it was so very much darker. His thoughts once again raced back to Debbie. A debate began to develop in his head again. Should he contact her or not? He thought now it might not hurt. Might not, heck, sure couldn't hurt. You know, just calling to check on her and see how she was. Keep the connection open. Keep that line of communication open. It wasn't even necessary that he see her at this point, but only that he touched base with her. Yep, he was going to do it. The mood was right now. The phone number to Nathan's parents had long since been added to his memory. Hopefully, he wouldn't have to speak to either one of them. Morons, both of them. Marshall made his way to the telephone on the kitchen counter and pulled up one of the two bar stools next to the answering machine. He dialed the number and waited for an answer. Nathan picked up on the third ring. After a few extremely fake, nice-sounding words, Nathan had handed the phone to Debbie. Hi, Mr. Marshall. She seemed excited to hear from him. How are you, he asked. Such a simple question. In most cases, people almost always said fine, but not Debbie. Not in this situation, anyway. She'd tell him whatever was going on. She'd open up to him because she trusted him. This was much different than a passing in the hallway, going in different directions, sort of, how are you? Nah, it was much deeper than that. You really want to know, she asked. Well, of course I do. Good. Everything is, like, just so weird now, she said. How so? He let his voice trail off. Everything is different. You know, just looks different, feels different. What feels and looks different, he asked. What are you, an amateur shrink or something, she asked jokingly. No, just in a position to help. Believe me, I can relate. I know you can, she interrupted. The story of losing his pregnant wife was well known around the school. You, probably more than anyone else, can understand what this feels like, she continued. Not fun, is it? He responded. No, she said. Well, I know what you mean about everything feeling different. There really no way for a therapist to grasp hold of that totally unless they've been in your shoes. You know, I did go see one, though, she said. I thought you might have, said Marshall. He had kind of been afraid of that. Yeah, he was pretty cool, actually. He seemed to be able to answer my questions in a way 
that at least got me thinking about stuff. Really? He asked. What kind of stuff? Well, he just happened to also be a minister. Oh, one of those, said Marshall. No, no, he really made some sense to me, she defended him. He was talking about the rut I was in, and maybe it was time to get out of it. Go back to school, just move toward doing more positive things, you know? Well, nothing wrong with that, he lied. He didn't like anyone else influencing Debbie. She wasn't in any position to be hearing any mumbo-jumbo from some do-gooder shrink that was going to lead her to God. She was vulnerable for that. How about this, he started. He wanted to get off this therapist guy, make the conversation go in a different direction, his direction, Why don't you come over here and we can talk about all that stuff? It would be really better in person, don't you think? I don't know if she sounded a little apprehensive. Should she be hanging out at her teacher's apartment? Probably not, she thought. Oh, come on, I'll tell you about Misty and how I dealt with it and, well, how I'm dealing with it now, and you can tell me about all the things you're going through, he said. Her name was Misty? asked Debbie. Yeah, it was. She was beautiful. I really love that name, Misty, she repeated it again. Then we can do this, he asked. Yeah, sure, she said. Their conversation then turned to details and more mundane things like school. A few nice goodbyes and Marshall loaded another bowl. He picked up the picture of Misty off the coffee table and rubbed his finger across the glass around the frame. He looked again through the many blinds, his lungs full of pot smoke. The sun was setting and the night was approaching. Thank you for listening. Join us next time as we continue with Darkest Darker Dark. I'm Rodney Mathers. Goodbye for now.